All right, we're back at it. And, uh, you know, there's nothing more exciting than talking about markets. That's not true. I have a new pen with a diamond on top. You do have a diamond top <laughs> pen, which is... Yeah, uh, it's I, borrowed from Shell. I want to give due credit. I'm a little that's jealous a little of the pen. more exciting than talking about markets. I don't have any bling on any given pen that I own, so I'm a little jealous of that. But we are we're circling in. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Shell. I was going to say step up your bling pen. I know it. I know it. I need to... Uh, what's the... Uh, when you when you put rhinestones and everything, what's that bedazzle. called? Bedazzle. Bedazzle. I need to bedazzle my, my life and my writing career. Everybody born after 1985 has no idea what that means. They just they just tuned out. Uh, so in this episode, we're we're talking about uh, one of the things we're talking about is what we're calling new market creation. Which Joe, you're going to be our Sherpa into navigating what that means first off, but uh, and also innovation in in the publishing world. And I, I'm I happen luckily to have been a part of a lot of innovation in this industry. Uh, and things have changed so rapidly. Uh, there's so many opportunities. But let's loop back. Let's talk about new market creation because I think first we want to talk about what we mean by that in context, Joe. You had a lot of thoughts about that. I do. I do. Um, so I, I think for you know in some of our previous episodes we may have kind of been a little gloomy about how things are harder and you know certain things may be saturated. All that stuff can kind of bum you out. But when you look at the meta trends. There's more people with higher education, with more free time and more disposable income. So the opportunity for entertainment, in my view, is just going to grow exponential. And like if we can get everybody in robot cars where they could listen to books and read their phone, like that's just more time to us to, to do things that we want to do, like read or listen or storytell, right? We need to be entertained. So like that's the overarching thing is like there's going to be so many new things that come. We tend to get focused on the now, and there is gonna there's gonna be somebody in the that I believe in the next five to ten years will invent some new media that will blow our minds. We were talking earlier in one of the episodes about just plugging in and getting the story out, right? There's still gonna need to be storytellers. So how are you today looking at how to find new places for your stories to do what they need to do? whether that's find an audience, make money. So that's where I'm coming from when, I, when we talk about this. And Shell and I have spent a lot of time and we're pretty like-minded about the, we're not, we don't want to just have this be about competing and writing to market and focusing on what has worked, but how can we expand our horizons and find that blue ocean for us to go really explore and find the, the next big thing? I, I think a really good example of um, opening up a new market or, or a new market emerging is uh, genres that that emerged like lit RPG, for example. Amen. You know that who would have ever guessed that there would be a market for you know people to read as if they were embedded in a video game or art, you know, a role playing game or something like that. I think there's a lot of opportunities like that still out there. Well, and you look at that one specific idea. So lit RPG that you can make even more money with lit RPG in audio, which was a real big hurdle. Or the idea of, hey, by writing in a serialized way for free on a platform like Royal Road, yeah. I could build an audience that would then pay me to keep writing, right? right. Like th there, there's these things that we just, 
we can get so built on the existing constructs, we're not prepared to step back and say, well, I like if you really want to tell a story that much that you're ready to write it every week for a year and a half before you get credibility, that that's determination. Right. 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 And then now people find that platform and it's like, oh, well, I'm going to do that. No, you're not because you're not prepared right. to write for a year and a half right. to build an audience. You want the money today. You want that guy's winnings without the work. Right. I saw a lot of that when uh, Amazon came out with Vela. Yeah. You know, people that. rushed to Vela and thinking that was going to be the next gold miner. For some, it was. But the people who succeeded on that platform were already thinking in terms of writing in, in a serial fashion. Right, because they part of them came from Wattpad, right? And exactly. Now, and now if you think about it, Wattpad has a pipeline from Wattpad to Wattpad Pictures, and they're producing things to Netflix. And you've got things like, um, you know, people that are writing, and now uh, Elon Musk's sister has an entire uh, video channel where people they are taking stories and they're going direct into producing them as films. So there's, there's, when we talk about new markets, there's new markets, right? There's right. new markets all over the place that are, that are emerging. And really what this comes down to is a concept that we call transmedia and at the conference. And this, this sort of all fa falls under that blanket of transmedia, which is subscriptions, uh, paid newsletters, Patreon, Kickstarter, Substack, yeah. uh, uh, and really just to back up, the concept of transmedia has been around for a really long time. There's actual college courses that teach the concept of transmedia. But just for the purposes of our listeners, we're sort of taking any ancillary product service distribution method and, and kind of putting that in that bucket, so to speak. So at Author Nation for the programming, we're going to talk about what the difference is between East Coast and West Coast transmedia. Uh, and just to quickly define what that means, uh, West Coast transmedia means going wide with something. And if you think of it like a hub and spoke, uh, and a great example of this is The Witcher, for example. So The Witcher was a series of short stories, that, and then there's also a game, which is a spoke off of it. And so there's different audiences for the short stories and different a different audience for the game. It's sort of the same world, but they're different audiences. And then you've also got the Netflix special, and then you've got the longer books, and then you've got the animation. Uh, so there's different um, platforms within that one world and different spokes off of that singular hub. So that's that's called West Coast. Then you've got, uh, sorry, yes. Then you've got East Coast, which is going deeper. And things like that are you have a, uh, a book and you create product services things off of that book. So a good example of that are cozy authors that create cookbooks based on their characters, what mm. they've cooked in that cookbook, or they've created newsletters uh, that those characters have written. So you're taking people deeper in that singular world. You're not creating new uh, audiences. You're taking people deeper into that world. So we're going to explore those because there's vast marketplaces that people can fish in that blue ocean, right? Which is a marketing term that basically means it's untapped waters, it's unfished waters. Uh, and and those are the kinds of talks and things that people can be thinking of to continue to be a storyteller, but to leverage your intellectual property, your IP, to go deeper, to sell things 
in a different way, to package them in audio, to package them in maybe short YouTube monetization channels. There's there's so many options and opportunities for storytellers to leverage work that they've already done and audiences that they already have and take them deeper or wider into those um, fandoms and and leverage more money, obviously. Yeah, it, it reminds me quite a bit. What you're saying reminds me quite a bit of when I was you know, working in like documentary television and we would take a, a series of interviews. We'd interview a whole bunch of subject matter experts and then, you know, have, you know, 20 hours of that stuff and get transcriptions. And then that would be turned into books and audio books right. and podcasts. And uh, well, podcast didn't really exist at that point in my life, but uh, it was sort of that whole Buffalo approach, right? You're taking and using, using every part as much as you can uh, in as many ways as possible. Um, that is interesting. I like the idea of emerging markets. And we ha we talked earlier about the, uh, the concept of like writing to market can, can have some downsides. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that if you're thinking in terms of new market, uh, let's address those downsides. But if you're thinking in terms of a, a finding or creating a new or emerging market, you can kind of mitigate those downsides. But the traditional concept of writing to market had had some long-term uh, downsides that that I think some people weren't really considering. Yeah, what do you what do you think? Well, so there a couple of things with this um, that I think authors should really embrace because it's kind of cool. So first off, when you say writing to market, in the idea of like, hey, there is a market there where there it's it's target rich as far as revenues. I am going to you know, build story right around that idea. And what you do is you step into a really, really competitive world. And and inf we're in an information cycle that just gets shorter and shorter. So once that, you know, once that Kalytics report comes out, 90 days later, that market's gone, right? It, it's saturated with people that can do that. And there's two two ways to think about this. One is, is writing to market. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to adjust and I'm going to understand a market that I have a deeper understanding. Like it's, I understand males that read science fiction of a certain age and I'm going to write to them, but I'm going to understand how they're shifting in the marketplace. What's interesting to them is changing and I'm going to move along with that. It's harder to do, but that's something that's sustainable because you're, you're, you're staying with that market. Now, here's the flip side. This is the crazy thing, is in the culture we're in, people want to have experience. And they want to have connection with the characters and the story world. And, you know, and you, you look at something like Harry Potter, right? A lot of money's made off those books, but there's even more money that's been made off movies and more money that's been made off conferences and more money that's made off universe. Universal Studios got like more than 50% of their acreage committed to that brand because people are saying, I want to live in that world. Yeah. And this is something all of us have talked about in some extent off camera about how I, I think the secret sauce is about you having that more customized, bespoke experience that you give to a smaller, more committed community that want to have that experience. They want to interact with you either at an author level or they want to interact with you with your characters and your story world. Like how many authors that are watching this have gotten emails 
from a, a reader talking about a character like it's a real person. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Why do we do that? We know rationally that's not a real, but it's that experience we want to have. And I think that when you open your mind up to that, this whole new market thing is, is, is infinite. Like it's only tied to your imagination and you're a creative person that's got an imagination. So step right. into that. Right. I think in, uh, I think you did this, said this in your talk at the end of the la the final 20 books Vegas conference when you were announcing what was going to happen with Author Nation, uh, I think it was you who said something about the next, like Indiana Jones and Star Wars and Marvel comics, well, you know, that that next group was here in this room. Yeah, well, that was um, when I was at the very first 20 books. Yeah. When I was there, I came there to talk about business. It was a new thing. And I, what I observed, and I still believe to this day is like, I was front row seats to this golden age of content creation. And there was somebody in this room that was going to create iconic, you know, canon type level pop culture that was going to be generation wealth building level stuff. Like that person is, was, is there, right? Yeah. Disney is not going to create that. They will pay you for it. But since Walt died, they haven't had an original idea. Right, yeah. They're amazing at doing the transmedia thing, mm -hmm. right? Like, they're the guys that are really, you know, showing how this can be done well, right? So I think that that's the part that you got to think about is, is in this world, you could be that person if you lean into it and you really, you know, make sure that you're being true to that idea for your fans. And I do think it's going to be easier to do that sort of thing, uh, to be the person who creates the next Indiana Jones or whatever, if you're also, you know, creating a whole new market <laughs> when you do that. Like, you know, the the top character in the market X uh, yeah. that no one else is writing in can come from you. Uh, let's shift gears a little because uh, the other side of this topic is uh, innovation. And, you know, I... All of us here, when we started, you know, way back in the the dawn of uh, indie publishing as we know it, like there were we were lacking a lot of the resources we have now. You know, when I first started uh, publishing, neither uh, Smashwords nor Draft to Digital existed at that mm -hmm. point, uh, and so when they came along, it was a game changer for me. Uh, CreateSpace was another one of those. But those things are like early days. And at this point, we've got so many different options that no one ever saw coming. What, what do you think drives that? How, how do we, what's the next thing that, that we think is on the way? Uh, and we're, we're at a point where first and foremost, there are people taking notice of the money that's in this space. So that means even more innovation, more focus on what's here. Right. But you know, we've, seeing like just the fact that a company like Lulu is yeah. sponsoring the show, right? They understand what it's going to take to compete long-term and they're going to innovate to support. In fact, in some respects, we're catching up with them. Like they, they, they were a little too early to the party with some yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but I think with, um, you know, AI is a very contentious subject, but it's here and it's going to become something that's going to be, um, amazing and part of everything we do. And, you know, if you're a great storyteller and you can tell an original story, 
then are you going to step away from a tool that could maybe instantly turn that story into a fairly good movie? Right. Right? Like, those are the things that people are, are some other buddy, somebody else is going to be creating stuff like that. Yeah. And then how do we pull those things together? So I, I think it. What, you know, what that would turn into, by the way, is uh, you refuse to use it on the grounds of you're afraid of the implications of it or you're afraid of the change. And then when someone else comes along and says, I can plug my book into this thing and I get a movie out of it. You're going to then be playing catch up and you're entering into a market that's already going to be saturated Maybe. by someone else. Because there are people that have, you know, ethical concerns. And I think, well, from the show perspective, obviously, we are going to talk about AI just to diverge just a bit and talk about it. <laughs> uh, but we're doing it from the journalistic perspective. We are explaining it. We are going to give resources for it. We're not going to debate the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, right? Because that ship has sailed. It's up to every storyteller, every author to decide how to incorporate that into their business, whether to incorporate that into their business right. from an ethical, uh, legal, moral perspective. That's their own business decision that gets back to, you know, you are in charge of your own career. Um, but I've heard this quote a lot. AI isn't going to replace you, but somebody that knows how to use AI effectively will. Right. It, and it's true, right? Um, there are already a, uh, that we, we can't debate that anymore. It's, it's gone. That, that debate is done. Yeah. It is here. It's going to get better. It's going to be more refined. Now, does that mean that you have to use it? No, it doesn't. Uh, I think it's worth exploring for every author to think about if there are marketing concepts that they can use it for, if they can use it to write better blurbs, if they could use it to write better you know, marketing campaigns or social media captions or or those ancillary things that free you up to for you to be able to do the thing that only you can do, which is to tell a story, to tell a great story, right? It, those, those are things that I think are worth exploring and those are things that we're going to talk about at the conference. But in terms of new markets, you know, there's there's a wealth of new markets out there and the technologies like you talked about are beyond what we expected 10 years ago and 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 that cycle's going to get faster and faster and faster just like with every industry right there's a tipping point and then things go warp speed after that yeah and i think we have to we have to deal with those realities as storytellers but but with that comes also opportunities right there's right. so many opportunities that come with that so if you reframe the way that you think about it instead of having it be really scary, come back and talk about the authenticity that you provide with to your readers. Come back and talk about the connections that you can make with your your readers and your listeners or you know however they're consuming it. It's just a it's an opportunity instead of a big scary thing that's going to crush you as an as an author. It is a, it is a hard business. Like that's the reality of it. It is hard. Right. But it doesn't have to be as hard if you leverage some of the tools and if you think about it strategically in ways that benefit you. Yeah. Johnny, you've been oddly silent uh, through the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> I have to call that out. But in terms of like when we started, uh, there was a certain level of technology and opportunities. Uh, how do you see like the th things have changed quite a bit? You're going through some changes in your career right now as well. Mm -hmm. How do you see this all stacking up? Like what what are some things, where do you see some deficiencies? Where, where could the innovation kind of step in and 
It feels well, I'm going to answer a different question than you're asking. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was actually just going to interject and, and say, can I be the one to state explicitly that just because there are all these extra options, you don't necessarily need to pursue them. True. And I think that without somebody saying that, there is this tendency to feel like, well, hold on a second. I'm not looking at graphic novel adaptation. I'm behind. You know, that sort yeah. of thing. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I would have told you, well, I wouldn't have told you this because I would have stood firm and dug in my heels, but I was, I would have been a little more curmudgeonly in the past, I would say, about new things, but because I, I do like, I do tend to like things the way they are. That's something that I just, you know, I have to find that balance. But um, I would say more that I'm just a little bit more specialized now. So the idea of a lot of this extra stuff is something that I look at like a buffet. And it's like, well, I, I, I may want to go into that, but I, I tend to prefer to write books. And I write books in a very specific way. I write cinematically. So I feel that I write books that feel like if you were, it's a movie that's made out of words rather than visuals. And so that is where I focus most of my time. So this idea of all these other options, it's a very interesting sort of, like I said, a buffet that I could look at and I could say, well, I may move into that. But I, I kind of tend to look at an 80-20 approach and I focus on what I what I do most, what best, whoa, that was not remotely you, you, correct. You've combined what, several what words. I do, I, that's what I do, I'm a wordsmith. <laughs> I tend to focus on what I do best is what I was trying to say and um, and where I'm most comfortable. But I don't know if that actually answers the question. But well, how I are you determining that? Like what, what, what's your criteria? For Trial and error. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a um, when I'm doing things, when I'm doing the things that I should be doing, this is a kind of capital S should in terms of not outside obligation, but what is right for me. Uh, there's a feel to it. There's a feel that like, okay, this is this is exciting. I want to do it in the morning. This is this this it's facile. It works well. And so I tend to gravitate toward the things that either I'm already I already am there, or I'm excited enough to get there, rather than this sort of tacit obligation. It's not an obligation, but it is. Kind of, it's a misperception, I would say, that well, I I need to be doing that. So this isn't transmedia. Well, I guess it's a little transmedia, but um, I was I was definitely a firm like screw that with social media, uh, almost from the beginning. And and it was one of those things where we were actually coming off the backside of this now. I think a little bit, but for a while there, it was like you need to be on all social media all the time, in every format that is out there. You need to be making TikTok videos and posting on Instagram. And I mean, the big one was Facebook back in the day. And I just, I hate social media. I hate it. I just, I have no social media. It makes me feel like the world is falling apart when I go on there. I just, I hate it. So I just kind of refuse to do it. And I've been okay. Yeah. So I think that that's, I think that I would say the larger lesson for me is sort of knowing where I want to focus my time and attention that's most that's the best fit for me. And we are all different. And there are so many options out there, different markets, different genres, different tools, different ways of approaching the business that none of us are going to effectively do more than a very small percentage of those. And we don't need to feel that there's a certain category of those that we're being told that we need to do. I don't know if that's talking in circles. No, I, I think that's perfect. Yeah. I, two things I would want to tack onto that. Um, in this world of all these opportunities, you want to make sure that um, what you choose to do is on brand. 
right? That, that, that for me becomes like, what's this, the secret sauce? Well, when I look at this plethora of opportunities and what makes sense for my brand, maybe the format for your, whatever you're going to do is eight track. Right. right. Okay. Because it's on brand, but know that that is what the fans are looking for. The second thing is, I think, and, and I've fallen prey to this too. It's like, oh, this new thing that's out, I've got to do it. So I get my competitive edge. Yeah. And that can have you chasing your tail. That is mm -hmm. bright, shiny objects. Yeah. Room. Yeah. And I think that feeds into the feelings of failure, because if you're not doing it, yeah. you know, then, it, or if you've got FOMO or you mean to do it, it's always something that you stuck on your someday maybe list. Right. I, I think what, so I'm going to put my futuristic, my future girl cap back on. When I was in the travel industry, right, you called a travel agent to book a trip. That was how right. you got the trip. They were gatekeepers, so to speak. And then you could book direct and you could go on websites and you could do all of this stuff. And there were very quickly two camps of, of travel people. There were the people that were, oh, woe is me. We're dead. We're disintermediated and we're gone. And a lot of them did. They, they followed that thinking right out the door. There were another group that said, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing ever because you're never going to be able to know exactly what I know, right? You're never going to know the best restaurant in Italy uh, in September and I know the owner of it. So they were able to leverage their right. bespoke knowledge. And I think we're starting to see some sort of shift with authors, right? So you have a bespoke author that writes the stories and loves to write the blurbs because they're lovingly crafted and loves to write their newsletters because they're loving letters to their people. And, and that, that is a valid path for, for as many people as want it. You don't have to use technology. You don't have to use social media. You, there, there are market conditions that you will have to overcome for, for those things, but you don't have to take that path and, and, and embrace the technology. Now I'm a tech girl, so I'm going to, I am going to, present, you know, oh, hey, maybe if you use ChatGPT to do this, you could probably get back to that fun stuff right. that you wanted to do. Yeah. So there there might be a balance, right? right? But to your point, though, like, that is you. And exactly. that is your method. Exactly. And this all plays exactly. into something that I I am seeing more and more. And I know uh, Johnny and I have had conversations about this sort of thing. But there's a real shift right now. I think what's coming for a lot of us is a shift back to a sort of analog uh, movement and an artisan movement as we've discussed and because what we've got is a world and you're seeing this with like and I don't know what the generation is at this point Gen Z or possibly some Omega I don't know uh, <laughs> yeah. but the the gist of it is we're seeing a return to an embracing and a love for for a more analog style of living they're buying physical books because they get that tangible experience they're buying vinyl you and me yeah. were on the same. I was just going to ask if it was too early to bring this up. No, I think it's exactly, it's exactly the point. Yeah. Like there's a, it's, it's, it's sort of in terms of innovation, we don't typically think of innovation in this way, but it is an innovation to look back and embrace what has, what worked before in and adjust it for what's happening now. Because there is this, you know, digital books aren't going away, but they're now becoming much more of an introduction to uh, an author or their work. And then as Seth Godin has put it, like, you know, if you're in the book business, if you're in the physical print book business, you're in the souvenir business, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because people will read a book, discover an author, discover their work on a Kindle or 
Co Kobo reader or something like that. And what's happening more and more is a love for uh, wanting, wanting to bring that experience into their physical world. Because we live currently in this age where nothing is physical for us. We don't touch anything. Actually, Johnny, you wrote about this in your in your substack. Yeah, well, it was actually on Russell Nolte's substack. It's okay. called The Author Stack. It was an article, you can just look for it, called We're Entering the Age of the Iconoclast Writer. And Russell tossed in Iconoclast. I was like, wow, thanks for making me sound real smart. Dude. That's a $5 word that for is, a $2 that article. That's a big deal. I had, to, <laughs> I had to look it up. I was like, I have a vague idea what that means, but I had to look it up. But it was it was about this point. It was about, because when... When, when there's more innovation in one direction, I think that there's a certain group that, that just kind of, I think the best comparison here, now maybe this isn't the best comparison, but it's a little like people who want uh, you, you know, farm to table or organic or something or like right. local for food, right. is you can go with, well, what's the easiest, what's the fastest, where can, what can I get everywhere? But then you can also go the other direction and say, I want a very artisan approach. I want something that's very custom and specific. I mean, it's funny, you talk about vinyl. I actually know a musician who's selling things on cassette tape. Yeah. It's, it's the least of all worlds, right? Like who yeah. wins with cassette tape? It yeah. just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's like you want to offer something so unique, even if it's absurd. And that's that's the thing that I'm, I'm cause that what that article is about is about this, this feeling of, of I was always overwhelmed by the idea of that. And I wrote, I was one of the authors of the book called Write, Publish, Repeat. Or like I, I was definitely not blameless in this, go, let's produce a bunch of stuff. But the more I got into it, I'm like, I'm actually not a write, publish, repeat guy by the new definition of this thing where people are going as fast as they possibly can. And so I prefer a more artisan approach, but the readers, there are readers who want that too. Mm -hmm. And so this is speaking to like, not just print books, but like, what if there's special edition books? What if there's, um, there was a, this isn't in, in, in authorship, but this is actually another article that is going to be on that same blog. And so one of my, my favorite musician is Bob Schneider. We talked before, he's an Austin musician. And one of the things he sold recently, I don't know if you saw this shell, but he had some graphic studio produce waveform art of his songs. So like there's this thing, it looks like the iris of an eye, it's beautiful. And it's the sound waves from 40 dogs that like you can, he assigns it and it's a piece of art on your wall. But it's like, that is just, that's the sort of thing I'm interested in is what the, the direct connection with the, the purest form of like, what's the core of the art? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm getting pretty far from books here, but the whole point is you can go in the, as fast as I, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, just to be clear, you can go in that, I'm gonna produce stories as fast as I can sort of mindset, or you can say, well, you know what, I'm gonna do less, but I'm gonna put everything I have into it, and it's only right for a certain kind of reader. It's not right for everybody, but I'm okay with that much smaller artisan group. Right, yeah. If I can just add on to that, I, um, I do calls with, people can sign up for free to talk to me, like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, on every week when I'm not here doing podcasts with you. Um, and so I get people calling. And this last week I had a, a guy book a time with me. He heard about he heard me on a podcast. And so he booked a time with me. 85-year-old retired physician who, after retiring, decided to start illustrating plants. Mm. Okay. And he, uh, he got a publishing deal 
um, I can't remember which country he was from originally in South America, down there in Spanish. And he shows me this book, amazing. Like these things look real and it's all with colored pencil. Crazy, crazy, right? And he's like, I want to know what I can do with this. I heard about you and I just, I like what you say, what would I do? And so I introduced him to the idea of Kickstarter, hmm. right? Which for him was like, I just showed him fire, right? But like <laughs> explaining to him, like very smart dude, right? Like, but like the idea of here's a way for you to find this audience and and I was explaining them to the idea like you can you can figure out the the audience for this book before you ever print it. Mm -hmm. You can add things that you're talking about, like these other prints that you have that you can sell, right? Like so kind of the the bigger thing is while all these opportunities widen up, pick the ones you want and do them right. Right. And um so yeah, I think there's so many opportunities that are gonna be available to us. Yeah, and I think, and we're gonna have to wrap up, but I mean, I think the 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 point there is like there, you know, the new this new era of writer, this new era of indie publishing, uh, the, we'll call it the author nation era of uh, indie publishing. I like that is all about looking at this this from this new perspective. You know, determining that you know first determining who you are, what your role is, what your goal is, and who you serve and then going out and you can you can at this point invent that market if you want like instead of chasing the whole tail of everything you can now be the head of it all and we're in a, uh, clearly an era where people are looping back and wanting more of an experience mm. would you say it's the era of the iconoclast it's, writer? it's the era mm. of the iconoclast writer <laughs> all right and uh, with that, with that, uh, throwing that word in there uh, to to finish us off, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Uh, and to everyone watching and listening, thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate you. We wouldn't even be around if it weren't for you. Uh, make sure that you are dropping by to uh, sign up and attend the actual Author Nation um, conference happening in November. Is it AuthorNation.com.live? AuthorNation.live which would be good information for me to know. Uh, so check that out. Thank you for tuning in to this show. Make sure you find the other episodes wherever you uh, tune in to find podcasts. And we'll see you next time.